0: Do you love Making Movies is Hard and you want to listen to more episodes?
1: Jump over to our Patreon page at patreon.com MMIH and you can listen to the entire back catalog of episodes for just $1.99 a month.
0: That's an additional 300 episodes that aren't on iTunes that you can listen to whenever you please.
1: But without any more blibber blabber. Back
0: to the show! You know, Making Movies is Hard. Making Movies is Hard.
1: Welcome. This is the podcast about the struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Mark Bissell, the founding host of the podcast. I'm a sci-fi horror filmmaker. And my first feature film, The Alternate, is out now on digital, DVD, and Tubi.
0: I'm Liz Manischel. I'm a writer, director, producer has made two features. Bread and Butter, and Speed of Life, and I'm currently making more, including my horror comedy with Amy Taylor, Best Friends Forever. I'm a distribution consultant who does sales, and I used to manage Sundance's Creative Distribution Initiative. This week, we welcome cinematographer Checo Varsay to talk about his work on the new Amazon show, Daisy Jones and the Six, as well as his work on Pacific Rim it chapter two and many others after that we play another round of the game but first Alric, what's going on with you well
1: lots of things i guess lots of thoughts at least i did have another meeting about my movie that i've been talking about for weeks upon weeks and weeks and yeah it's still alive it won't die which is great i i love it that it's like still got energy and potential and now we're meeting with a production company which I won't name to talk about, maybe partnering. So like we would now, instead of being on our own, we would partner with them. They have a, a relationship with a really big agency. And so then we would like have this agency, you know, inside baseball stuff going on and help. And, you know, they also have some track to funding potentially. So like it would be like we would basically combine our approaches So like that there would be some money there and also a connection to talent and maybe it would just make this whole thing a little easier. So fingers crossed that it all works out well. I'm not a part. They cut me out of this meeting, which I'm totally fine because it's like a more of a business meeting. So it's just going to be the producers and then the other production company producers meeting which i think is great but uh but yeah so that's that i had some thoughts you know about my life as a director just in the last 24 hours kind of like we, we talked to a filmmaker emily apt yesterday which was a really great conversation and you know she's a filmmaker has made two narrative features now and like four documentary features and she has two kids that are now like you know whatever teen pre-teenage and she was talking about how it like it's easier and like you know how. You know, she has like a support from her family, but that, you know, also you have to be, be used to like not having money as an independent filmmaker, which is like, of course, something I know very well. And then, you know, we talked to, to, to Chico, you know, who's going to the interview for this episode. And you weren't on this one, Liz, but like he was literally in the car on the way to set being driven by a PA. Having worked till, like, 2 a.m., 3 a.m., going overtime on the show, and then going to his call time, and, like... drinking his second coffee, you know, like trying to eat his breakfast, talking to us. And then he's going to have another coffee waiting for him from his, you know, assistant camera (laughs) operator or his camera PA. And then he's like going to do his job. And then, you know, his wife's a director and then they have a kid. And so they like, he was talking about how they like, they go from movie to movie. And like, it's like, it's a circus and it's the best when like he gets to shoot while she's directing. And like, that's the wonderful thing. And, I was just thinking like, man, that sounds hard. That sounds tough. It's like, and like he, he is living my dream in a way. Like I don't, I mean, not to be a DP or anything, but like, you know, he's worked on Pacific Rim. He, he worked on it chapter two. He's worked on humongous studio features. He's done some of the best shows that we've ever heard of. True blood, you know, this new show, like tons of other stuff. It's like, this is the level that I w- aspire to be at one day. And it sounds crazy difficult. <laughs> So part of me is like, wait, do I really want that? Or do I really want to just make my movies over 14 years, if it takes that long, while I raise my children and be a happy, you know, dad with a job and whatever. And then, like, I just get to make a movie every once in a while. Like, does that sound better? Maybe. Or do I want to work on IT Chapter 4 and have a crazy life? Like, I don't know. Like, what, what, (laughs) what do I want? I don't know what I want. I feel like it's, like, hard to even it's like you know like in a lot of ways like if you want to reach that level you have to be so laser focused and like so like you know precise in your plan with your career but in another way it's like i just don't even care like i just want to make movies and i want to also be with my daughter and you know my son who's about to be born and like that is like what's more important to me. So it's like, well, w- all this rushing and hoopla and whatever. It's like, you know, maybe just step back from it and just like, you know, do it more in a slow, steady fashion and enjoy life. Maybe that's better. I don't know. So these are all ideas mulling in my head, you know, and like kind like we talked about this like probably a couple of years ago, like reconfiguring your dream. It's like I think like I'm constantly in a state of like, questioning like my true dream is that actually what i want or is it just like this fantasy that's not real and that the real version of it is like hell on yeah. earth you know
0: <laughs> yeah, well yeah so i'm hearing you and i'm also thinking about what emily abt said about wanting to prioritize being a caretaker right and then i'm also just thinking about how you know i got pregnant and we moved And my poor son, like you could tell that it was impacting him. Like these, Mm. what I think, I mean, there's, they're major changes, right? But they're long-term changes. So for me, these are like changes that I think, I'll be able to process for the next few years but he's four years old and he's been having these little tantrums that he's never had Mm. before Mm. and I'm almost positive it's because of these two major changes and then you think like what if you took your kids on the road yeah there's a disposition that might be able to handle that and maybe there's homeschooling or whatever but it's like to be able to anticipate how your kids are going to react to that dramatic of a lifestyle, that seems very tough to figure out. Like, yeah. I, I know what you're saying. There's like the dream, there's the romance of the travel and the excitement. And then, but I also think it's like, you have no idea what kind of, what kind of like what limits of resilience your children have at that age. And they're not going to be able to tell you, right? They're not going to be able yeah. to say like, this is disrupting my, my the, the regulation of my social systems or something. You know, like, I think they, they, they're not going to tell you. So, like, while I'm sure all these amazing directors and cinematographers who are on the road with kids are figuring it out, I just am witnessing, like, a minor change happen with major repercussions for us, and it scares me. So, I, I, I also feel like I'm leaning towards the Emily Apt world of, like, yeah, just do what you can with the resources you have right now until you can kind of step back a little bit more when your kids are a little bit older and even more adaptable. So I understand it's like, I like that. What is it? Redesigning your dreams. But I do think that what I'm finding joy in, finally, is the thing I've been talking about for the past like two years, which is like trying to find joy in the process. I'm like finally finding joy in the process. Mm. Like I'm going for these hikes. I created this playlist of music that feels like the music I want in my movie. That was really exciting. It's all like, it's like the girl version of the Mandy score. It's like (laughs) Susie and the Banshees and Kate Bush and Elastica and like the breeders it's not like, I, I don't know, I don't know if that's a, a congruent comparison, but it's like this kind of like broody, goth, indie popishness, And like, that's really fun. Doing the deck is really fun. Doing these like visual inspirations is really fun. And so for me, I think as long as I have one creative escape, in addition to being able to support my family, I can make this work for a few, you know, I can make having two kids work. I, I have faith in that. So hopefully, yeah. hopefully that's what we can do is we can make it work, Arik.
1: <laughs> yeah, make it work. You know, I feel like it's just it's such a, my, my life as a director, you know, and I'm sure yours too, it's going to evolve as you, we have our children and we, we grow as parents and people. So I'm, I'm just also just not trying to put too much pressure on myself to plan things and to like, yeah. you know, like anticipate the future it's just like let's just roll with the, with the punches like you know if there's a movie that i come up with that i write that i love and i'm like ready to go into it again and raise money and go go nuts like you know i'll start the process and we'll see we'll see how it goes you know like but i'm not gonna try to like put you know expectations on myself or like set like guidelines or whatever it's just like we'll see yeah. we'll see where my artistry takes me we'll see. you know we'll-
0: let it go let it go if you would like to see how you could support us you could go to patreon.com slash podcast anything that you can afford to give to support the show is incredibly beneficial and we really want to shout out robert jones who was a patreon supporter at one level and then he bumped up his support of the show very kind of him. So, we're just going to say double happy birthday to Robert Jones for all your support on Patreon. Also, do not forget to check out Jambox.io who is our sponsor. But they're also a royalty-free music and SFX company <laughs> with an emphasis on high-quality cinematic cues. Their composers have worked on soundtracks for Hollywood-level films, working with directors like Michael Bay, Martin Scorsese, or global brands like DJI. They offer customized plans to fit your needs, which is awesome. Without any more delay, here is Ulrich and Eric chatting with Checo Varce.
1: We are here with Checo Varese. Welcome. Thank you so much for being on the show. Give us the elevator pitch for Daisy Jones and The Six.
2: Making movies is really hard, man. (laughs) (laughs) That is the best title for a podcast, and and that describes Daisy Jones. Daisy Jones is the story of this bunch of young people that try to find themselves and try to find common love and common passion in life through being a band. And they figured pretty soon that it may or may not happen. And that's the elevated pitch of Daisy Jones. Daisy Jones is the story of grandness and failure, story of drama, it's a story of love, it's a story of humanity. It's a story of human beings trying to love for each other, but sometimes not being able to Mm -hmm. throughout the the years together.
3: And how many days did you roughly shoot?
2: I shot episodes one through five and then seven. Mm -hmm. My, My wonderful colleague Jeff Carter shot episodes five to 10 without seven. I shot episodes one through five as a block as a one long five-hour movie. Wow. <laughs> and I believe we, we shot 12 weeks, whatever, 70 days, 60, 70 days. Wow. Wow. Something, something like that. Yeah, that's why I'm saying making movies is hard. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is.
1: Wow. And then your 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 colleague shot episodes six through 10 as another long block, like right after or with a yes. break in between? There was, the
2: reason it was to keep the band together and the actors together. So there was a break the there was a natural break. There was Christmas in between. And then I believe there were a couple of weeks that they sort of moved the company to New Orleans where they shot the other five episodes or four episodes. Wow. Yes, yes. There was a break in between, but there was no real break. They continued prepping and organizing and, 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 and doing everything to get ready for, for the later episodes in New Orleans. In New Orleans, just happened to be a location in this. For, they were in New Orleans because they needed some sort of New York looks and, and, and they needed a big stadium which happened to be available at that time of the year in New Orleans.
1: Wow, amazing. And uh, I don't know, you probably can't say this, but what was <laughs> the rough budget of the show? Or do you know roughly the scope of what you were working with?
2: No, I mean, I, I, I could tell you if I knew it. No, let me phrase it in a way that... I, that I can say it, I think we had enough resources to make it happen. Being careful about the resources, it's always important as a cinematographer. But it was a, a generous amount of time and a generous amount of resources. Okay. Oh, and out of curiosity, so how did you come to the project?
3: I mean, clearly, you're you're very well respected in your field. You're fantastic at what you do. But but how did
2: this ha- happen to to come across your desk? Complete serendipity. I was doing a series for Amazon called "Them." Uh-huh. The pandemic hit. We had to stop, and this new producer came aboard on board after the pandemic break for whatever reason, for various reasons. There was no 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 philosophical reason that the 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 former team wasn't available anymore after the pandemic, and so this new team took over and. And we were shooting one episode in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And I remember having coffee with Mike Nelson, the the new producer at this point. And we were chatting about the project we were doing. And he said, oh, I have this wonderful project that I'm going to be shooting. And he didn't offer it to me or anything. He just said, it's about this and about that. And it's... It's a rock and roll band of the 70s. And how would you do it? And we talked for like five hours on, on the philosophy of how to shoot period pieces, because period pieces are very complex. Nothing looks period anymore. I'm, I'm I'm driving in Vancouver right now. I'm being driven in Vancouver. And everything looks 21st century. You know, the traffic lights, the the, the, the cars, the things, and everything is 21st century. There is nothing left of 20th century. Yeah. And... and and sort of philosophically, we started talking and I, I sort of gave my take on, on, on using large format with such and such lenses so that the shallow focus will be more forgiving with the background and not leaning into visual effects so much due to budget and also due to the fact that, you know, Godzilla is not part of the movie so you don't have to create a very three, big 3D <laughs> character eating people in the shrine building. So, so your, visual effects, your, your visual effects are more related to, to making the story better, you know. And, in in the case of Daisy Jones, it's a multiplying audiences. Obviously, you cannot fill up a stadium with 100,000 people. But So one thing led to the other one and when we finish the coffee, and that was it. And then two or four months later, he called me out of the blue and said, Hey, listen, I'm, let me change your script. I, I think you're the right guy for Daisy Jones. And I wow. had a meeting with the creators. I had a meeting with the creator. I read the script. Um, they asked me if I wanted to read the book, which is a pretty well known bestseller. And I said, No, I usually don't want to read the book because then I'll remember the book and I don't remember the script. And I start shooting things that are not in the book, in the script, you know, because where is that scene where they love each other? oh that was in the book not in the script so I sort of you know, didn't wanted to read the book and I read the script I did the pitch and here I am I don't know, a year and a half later talking to you guys <laughs> uh,
1: well that was my next question it was like how long did you spend working on, on the show and so it was about a year and a half from when you got you know hired on no. to now uh,
2: you know years certain age they all combine with each other but, uh,
3: <laughs> Especially the last couple of years, they felt like just one giant block. Yeah,
2: yeah, I understand. Exactly, yeah. The, The last four years, you know, there is a several other political changes in the, in the in the in the White House, but maybe maybe I'm wrong. But yeah, it's been a, it's been a couple of years. So uh, whatever, it was August 2021 when I started, and I finished in May 20 May June 2022. My 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 nice. full-time participation. And then of course there's fast production and in and, and, and coloring but it was like an eight eight nine month kind of consecutive engagement nice and now if you could go back and change one
3: thing about it about the episodes or the production in any way what would it be
2: you know i let me ask you a question would you change the title of the podcast <laughs> <laughs>
3: You know, it's funny, actually. We've, we've talked about it a couple of times. We can add some more things, make it a little more spicy, something like that. But I understand what you're talking about. You, you, you're, yeah. you're proud of the work you've done. And it, it just, it is the thing that it is. And I'm... It's... It, it,
2: it. I, I I helped I helped the, the toddler walk. I, I I saw the toddler going to elementary school, and I saw the toddler going to middle school and high school. And Jeff Carter, my my colleague, took the the the, the teenager and 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 took him to college and master degrees. And now it's 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 out there with everyone to watch. I don't know if I would change anything. I would probably, I would probably just, I would, I wouldn't change anything. It just, it is what it is. And and, uh-huh. and the fellow went to high school and now it's in university and good luck everyone.
1: Nice. So I have a, a very specific question just based off of, you know, what you said about, you know, working on this as a block of episodes. And I saw that you had one director for the first five episodes. But then a different director for Episode 7, what was that like, like, working with one director for, like, the majority of it, but then having to switch to to somebody new on 7? Did you have to kind of bring them up to speed, or was it a pretty smooth transition, like... How was that process? Well, I worked with James Ponce for the first
2: five episodes. So we were very closely together in designing the look and designing everything that belonged to this episode. The episode of it, sorry, the director of episode seven is Will Graham. And Will Graham is one of the showrunners, uh showrunners nice. and, and writer. So he was umbilically attached to the project from the very beginning and he was an intrinsic part of making it the way it is. So it was a seamless transition. And also, mind you, Will was not directing the blog too. He only directed that one episode. Right, no, he right. was particip- participant of all the blogs. So Will and I had long conversations in the flight to Greece and in Greece where we shot episode seven about episode seven. So I did my own prep with him. So it was, it was almost like Shooting a pilot or shooting another movie, another little movie. We prepped and we talked and we embraced the the, the colors and the, and the and the sun and the sky of Greece in May, while everybody else was suffering in New Orleans. A grueling schedule. We were having. <laughs> You know, we were having octopus and, and white wine in, in Greece talking about the philosophical part of how to shoot it. It was great. You know, <laughs> nice. w- w-
3: when you mentioned making movies is hard, you're making it sound really, really nice. I'll be honest with you. That, the white wine makes it sound very a- appealing. Now, one of the things I have to ask is now you've worked on some, some of the biggest studio features. You've worked on huge projects. You've worked on smaller projects. Do you change your process based on the budget size or or does it matter or does it not matter at all?
2: Well, first of all, the appetite is always bigger than the plate. It doesn't matter. (laughs) It doesn't matter how much... It doesn't matter how much money you have. There is a there is a, a gentleman or a lady in charge of keeping us in line, and he comes or she comes and says, "Are you out of your mind?" <laughs> and I'm like, "Yes, yes, that's why you hired me. <laughs> of course, I'm out of my mind. That's why you hired me. You know, it's never it's never enough, but it's always sufficient. You know, there, one of the biggest challenges in filmmaking is. Time, you know, time. Time is if you do a little independent movie and everybody does it by for love or 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 a favor or it's a short film or it's a documentary. You're you're the master of your own time. When when you're doing a project as large as Daisy, which means you know there are five actors. That means there are at least. Five makeup parties, five her people and their triggers and things. And, and you have to feed all these people time is always of essence. So the, the managing of time is what never changes. You have more time or you have less time. You have more resources. You have less resources. But at the end of the day, you make, you make it do in a very organized way or try to be organized. And at least in my particular case, the most creative and, and fun part is it's the, the actual process of, of pre-production, in, in which you are creative and you decide the look, and you are dreaming about these wonderful things you're going to do, and then reality hits and it's raining, and you can only do a close-up in a corner because it's raining, and <laughs> and, and that that is what it gives you the ability to 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 think very quickly and, and, and to be creative And you know, the, the, the troubles in life are the mother of all creativity or whatever the saying is, you know what I mean?
1: So when you're on a set, like how, how much do you take on like the feeling of responsibility to, to get everything done in, in one, in your, in your day? Like, or are you kind of more like, well, that's not really my job description. Like, if I need more time, I always ask for more time. Or or do you try to, like, not push into OT, like, more than, like, once or twice during, like, any given shoot?
2: Every DP is different. And I can only speak for myself. I try to be very responsible. I try to... Fit, fit the playground in the sandbox I'm given, you know, and I try to uncover every, every grain of sand as much as I can in the time given. So I I manage the set in a very, my part of the set, of course, it's a first AD job and a director job and et cetera, but I manage my part of the set as responsibly as I can because at the end of the day, it is a restaurant, you know, where the where the client sits down and, and, and wants an appetizer and 30 seconds later, he wants a second quarter and five minutes later, he wants a dessert. And those three dishes have to be ready and served in, in the most beautiful possible way. So, you know, your client comes back for more ceviche or for more bolognese or whatever it is that you're serving, you know. <laughs> and just
1: to, uh, just to push you on a follow-up on a question, like how how often do you tend to go over on these bigger productions? Like is it is it a regular habit or is it something that only happens... Maybe once or twice, like across like a 12 week shoot.
2: I wouldn't be talking to you about Daisy Jones if I had the habit to go over. I would be talking go. about. I would be talking go. about <laughs> uh, yeah, I would, would be talking about how to choose weather reports in a little town in. Little town. <laughs> With all the respect for Kentucky that that has a lot of tornadoes and it's fun to be a weather reporter. person. no, there I I don't go over. I I manage my resources and my time in the most responsible way that I can. And then reality comes in and all of a sudden there was a tornado and you have to wait three days. Or Mm -hmm. there was a a COVID case in one of the, the, which is not the case in in Daisy Jones, but in other projects, you know, number one in the coach should have COVID. So we all went home for two weeks, you know, but that you cannot control. Yeah. No, I I, I, I consider myself. A responsible partner in my craft has to fit the appetite and it has to fit the budget as much as I can. Obviously, believe me, you were my producer. I will push you to the limit of, you know, the rubber band will almost snap, but it hasn't snapped yet.
3: Finding Yeah, finding that delicate balance of getting what you need and then also working within your timeline. That That's fantastic. I loved an interview that you did in, uh, for Below the Line where you talked about your choice of camera package and lenses to tell the story for Dope Sick. I was wondering if you could speak to that. Like, you, what's your choice of technology and your the, the feel that you're going for when it comes to telling a story and kind of what, what was your what was that journey on uh, for, for Daisy? I'm agnostic
2: when it gets to camera platform you know every manufacturer has wonderful cameras Mm -hmm. i I reflect red sony you know they're all it's like you know it's like a bmw versus an audi versus a mercedes i mean they all will take you to the next street you just it's a choice you know and Mm -hmm. they're all wonderful cars in this case the car ended up being a venice a sony venice but it could have been a mercedes oh sorry an (laughs) everything i'm agnostic on cameras I think cameras are the brush. Cameras are the canvas. You know, you stretch a canvas or you stretch a piece of wood or you burn a wood to do a lithography. Uh, Those are the cameras. And then the brushes and the colors are the lenses. Mm -hmm. You know, you you, you paint with watercolors because you want that look, you know, or you paint with crayons and then burn it so it it, it drips in, 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 in the wood and those are the lenses in the case of daisy something very again another serendipity happened when, when, when you do a project, you always have a camera test where you test makeup and hair and wardrobe and lenses sometimes. In the case of Daisy, there were five characters, a 15-year-old actually included the interviews, which is sort of the, the gimmick of the whole project, which is this interviewer that interviewed the character 30 years later, or 40 years, 20 years later. So the expanse of time is actually enormous. It's between 61 and 94, it's what the series happened you know Mm -hmm. so they ended up having to do like a six-day camera test for makeup work because only daisy i think she has like 110 work of difference wow oh Oh, man (laughs) You should ask Denise Weingarten, our our uh, wonderful costume designer. I think she had like something like that and everybody else had another plethora of... And then there's the the look of her hangover and the look of the her with the hair long and the hair short and uh, in the shower and after the shower. So that took a long time and I sort of advantage of that to go to the, the, the camera house that provided the equipment casual camera and this is not a commercial but it is. <laughs> I went to casual camera I said, okay, so give me one camera for the makeup and hair, give me another one and and, and let's let's start test, testing lenses manufacturers. And every lens is different. And and I shot Dobsig with one set of lenses. I shot Ben Covenant with another set of lenses. Before that I shot each chapter two with a completely different set of lenses. So I'm not I'm not a I think changing and, and using the technology and, and and the beauty of the glass and the lenses for every project it's it's crucial. So you have. Something to say, and and you honor the project. We we ended up after many t- days of tests. We ended up choosing the, a new glass at that point. That was the Ingenio, the optimal Primes. We added some internal filter to it, and, and and that's what gives the creamy quality of 1970s, 1960s, 70s to Daisy, mm-hmm. along with production design and wardrobe and hair and makeup and color correction. You know, but you start from somewhere, and that was the, that was the genesis of it.
1: So. I want to ask a question about some of your other works. You've done, you know, you've been a cinematographer for many years. You've worked on some of the biggest shows, etc. But you also did. You were the B cam DP on Pacific Rim. Like after you had already shot like episodes of True Blood and Melrose Place and these other big shows. So I'm just curious, like, you know, what was your experience uh, working on Pacific Rim? And how is your process different as the BCAM DP versus the, the main cinematographer for the whole project?
2: Pacific Rim
1: was a very specific
2: the, in, in the in the contract structure of, of Hollywood and the film industry, if you call it second unit, then you need a second unit director. You know. So Guillermo del Toro wanted to direct every frame of Pacific name. So Guillermo Navarro, the the DP and longtime collaborator of Guillermo del Toro, uh, called me and said, "Listen, there is this other unit. It's called there is not such a thing as a second unit, but so Guillermo will shoot with you between six in the morning and ten and thirty or twelve or whatever." And then he'll come to us and we'll shoot another five hours. So Guillermo was bouncing back and forth
1: oh
0: between
2: two units, directing every every every, every frame of it and, and, and manipulating every frame of it to his, to his very huge heart and desire and enormous brain. So basically Pacific Rim had a 90 day schedule, but with a 50 day other unit schedule, ended up having 140 days. Oh, I'm, just wow. throwing, I'm, I'm just throwing numbers around I mean, you can quote me on this But their are numbers I don't know if they're true <laughs> But he basically got another Another big chunk of so I was the director of photography of that other big chunk, you know, with wow. the Yermo directing. So it had to be called B Camera because it wasn't it wasn't a second unit; it was the other unit. In fact, we were called we we called each other laughing the 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 graveyard unit because we started at four <laughs> in the morning and we were run by three p.m. You know what I mean?
1: Wow. And, and what kind of stuff were you shooting? Was it all like the stuff without actors? Like just, you know, the establishing no, no, shots no, no. or the robots? Or No, 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 no. no.
2: <laughs> Everything, if you recall, Pacific Rim had these big robots that were controlled by two or three or four characters inside the head of the robot, right. fighting monsters that came from somewhere. In those robots had the head was where they controlled it. So we were mainly doing all the actors inside this set that looked like the robot head. Oh, wow. wow. It, was a, it was a big gimbal. And when I say a big gimbal, it's, imagine you put in your house in you know Laurel Canyon on top of a platform that moves. That's exactly what we were shooting, like a huge <laughs> set on 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 a gimbal that was imagine the head of a robot bobbing left and right you know that's that's what we shot
1: wow
3: crazy
2: ah that's that's nuts
3: i wanted to talk to you a bit about it too and kind of what that process was like because you're coming into the sequel so you kind of already have a bit of the table set for you if you will uh, why were you brought in for the sequel was there a, a switch with the DP for any specific reason no
2: I think what what happened with the chapter 2 is very interesting I've known Andy and Barbara for a long time Andy Muschietti the director and Barbara Muschietti the producer we cross paths we both speak Spanish and, and like soccer you know so <laughs> the so we, essentials we yes of course <laughs> of course I mean it's it, I'm sorry it's not essential it's crucial <laughs> <laughs> So we crossed paths, right before chapter two, we shot a pilot, I can't remember what it was, and then they offer me chapter two, I read the script and it was a sequel, but it wasn't a sequel because it's about these characters that are, whatever, 15, 20 years later. So I was able to imprint the quote-unquote contemporary part of the look to my vision and yet respecting my my predecessor, D.P. Chung, and paying homage to his choices when we were refilming or filming again or or, or adding to the flashback. So I had to 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 sort of replicate or or pay homage to a look that existed, but I also could imprint my own look for the future part, which is when the characters are 30 or 40 or 25. So it was a sequel but with its own personality. So
1: that that I found very attractive, you know? Uh So... When you're working on a project like that, that's like an existing property that has like like hundreds and thousands of fans and there's like a lot of anticipation leading up to the release of the movie, do you feel any of that kind of pressure to like do justice to the original or to the characters? Or do you just zero in on the specific story and just focus on that?
2: I would lie if I say that there was no pressure. I would lie <laughs> if I would say that I wasn't waking up at four in the morning sweating saying, Oh my god, what did I put myself into? <laughs> <laughs> but then again you you can only look forward you know there 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 is this this forward movement that you have to apply to your creative process and cross your fingers and hope for the best. I think we did really well. I think the movie stands in his own feet and, and, and pays homage to, to the fans in a way that, that everybody, but that it's also the director, you know, the director it, it, it imprints his own fingerprint, repeating myself, Jeff helped. The director puts his own patina and his own thoughts and his own soul in it and I'm just the the one that helps, grabbing him or her by the shoulders and trying to 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 help going into the snow. Storm that is doing a movie, you know. It, I always compare doing a movie to. I, I I always say I was never hired to be a submarine captain. You know, you 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 go, you take your crew, you you, you log yourself in a nuclear submarine for three months, and you come up for air, and it's like, oh my god, they invented cell phones while I was, uh, you know, something else. What happened? It's, oh my god, there is a Fell from 15 and you still have a cell on eight, you know what I mean so <laughs> it, it's like being a, it's like being a submarine captain you disappear from the world well, you try to stay in touch with your family and your loved ones and you my daughter and my wife and but everything else comes secondary I mean it, it's so funny a film said it's all about what you're doing in the moment you know and then sometimes you talk about climate change but not that much and as soon as you finish the project you you, you get the place because there's this thing called climate
3: change yeah? yeah well I think we're ready to jump to our Final six questions, Elriculis. Do you have any other questions?
1: I, well, I can't help but I have one last little one that just sparked from what you just said. Like, like, how do you manage spending time with your family when you look work on something like Daisy Jones? Do they come with you? Do you fly back to see them when you can? Like, how does that work? Well, there is an advantage. I'm married to an yeah. and Italian
2: director, Cristobal, okay. so we we try to work together as much as we can, and it becomes a family. I I think become you know the the Green Bean Brothers circle that goes to the next town and we we put up a tent and we all live together there with the lions and the zebras and cleaning and cleaning the manure every morning (laughs) and then clapping at at every show there is there is there is a sense of understanding that comes from both sharing the same profession you try there there is some sacrosanct things uh, that that you have to do you know you have to go on Zoom or phone or take the, Mm. the first flight out and come back the next day, I remember, you know, doing a show in New York and, and literally commuting every Friday and coming back every Sunday, you know. So you, you, you are in the little ballet class and and, and and you take the garbage out of home and change a couple of bolts and hug your wife, hug your daughter, and go into the American Airlines flight back to, like, the submarine. You try <laughs> yeah. to manage that. And there's there's very little sleep bed. Right? I have to say. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I would
3: imagine. It sounds like you, you're just up for 20 hours a day. Yeah.
2: I shot until four in the morning yesterday. I woke up at 10, and I'm, here I am trying to make sense after four coffees. Wow. <laughs> not, uh, not to sound like an exhausted guy that is about to walk literally in the rain to shoot a, a, a scene. Because in Vancouver, there is a tendency in this part of the world it rained constantly, I would say. Yeah. Wow. It has rain in the last 35 days, yeah. Yeah, Canada does that.
3: They they really like the rain and the snow. Yeah, unless, unless, unless
2: they take a plane and go to Mexico. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which happens a lot
3: well I say well, let's get our, our last questions out of the way here so we can let you go on with the rest of your day and, and I'm assuming four more coffees oh oh
2: oh there's there a camera assistant waiting at the end of this car ride there's a camera assistant with an extended hand in the coffee yes for sure <laughs> that is a good assistant right there thank you camera assistant for the coffee
3: alright our last six questions first one what is the first film you ever shot and how do you feel about it now and that can be like a, you know, a school project or something you did just like you know, in your backyard when you were a kid or something like that?
2: I started as a I First of all, it's that's a question I don't know how to answer. I was an architect. And I finished architecture, and there was nothing being built in the country of origin, Peru. And somebody said, hey, National Geographic needs a driver that knows a little bit of camera work in the highlands of Peru. And I said, yes. So I went there, and I ended up after three days saying, this is last thing I'll ever do in my life and, and, and I'll become a filmmaker. And that was 1984 with a documentary about the Amazon jungle or the Highlands of Peru or something like that. So that was my first experience.
1: And what's the best filmmaking advice you've ever received? I was a news cameraman. I mean, it's probably
2: not the best, I it's the one I
1: remember because I told the I did yesterday. I was a cameraman <laughs> in,
2: in, 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 in in El Salvador. I was a world correspondent before for an un, un, for, I was a freelance, so the producer was this crusty, crusty old, old experienced, more than old, gentleman. And I remember I came back and I said, he, he asked me, what do you have? Well, I have the shot of the flag and the president talking and, you know, the police came and after 10 minutes, there is this woman crying and blah, blah, blah. Okay, great. So then my colleague, our, our co- a colleague came and he asked him, what do you got? And she goes, Well, you know, when we got there, the taxi took a wrong turn and we ended up in the wrong place and the batteries were not charged. So I didn't got anything. And the guy immediately, without even thinking, said, I cannot broadcast excuses. You're fine. Wow. Whoa. And that to me, that to me was. Molly, Molly. Okay, I gotta be on my toes, with or without coffee. It doesn't matter. So that that counts me for thirty-four years. they are no excuses. We have to do what we have to do, and the time allotted, and it is what it is. Huh?
3: Nice. Conversely, then, what is the worst filmmaking advice that you've ever gotten?
2: Oh, if you do good, you'll get an Oscar. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. There are 3,000 projects or 30,000 projects done every year. Your goal is not an Oscar. Your goal is to do the best project you can because there is only one Oscar a year.
1: Hmm. Do you have a goal as a cinematographer? An Oscar? No. (laughs) <laughs> i consider myself the first audience
2: of every project what i see you haven't seen when i saw daisy jones you haven't seen it so i consider myself the first audience so i have to put myself in the shoes of that audience that is watching it in a theater or in his or her home and hopefully not on his iPhone watch but it's it's, it's watching this project and enjoying this so I have to pay homage and respect to the people that are watching it, and I have to be surprised, and I have to cry, and I have to be scared, and I have to, to laugh. And if I don't cry, if I don't laugh, and I don't get scared, you won't get scared. Hmm. But I, I put myself in your shoes as much as I can. Wow! If
3: you could go back in time, what is one piece of advice that you would give to yourself? Do the
2: same I did. <laughs> oh, nice. I I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to change my career because this is who I am and I became who I am because of my circumstances. So I cannot change that. But I can give you advice and I can give everybody else advice, which is don't even think about, and because this is a podcast, I'm going to put a beat in there. Don't even beat, think about doing what I did because I think it's the wrong path. You know, it took me a long time and a lot of suffering, but I wouldn't be able to change anything because, and not because I'm not self-critic. I mean, I'm the most self-critic person I can be with myself. And I'm the hardest person I can be with myself, but I don't know how to change things that happen, you know. You can only change future, you cannot change history. You have to learn from history, and you have to, so you can change
1: the future. And last question, is making movies hard? Making movies is extraordinarily hard. Maybe that's (laughs) the new title of the podcast.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's, it's. It's an enterprise that requires to begin with a miracle. Requires a script. Requires an actor that it's available and willing. Requires a crew that it's Standing under the rain for hours and hours requires a producer that finds the finances, it requires an editor that puts it together, requires, I don't know, 300 people to make it work as a machine, machine, as a, as a, as a clock that like it's done with love and precision, but at the same time open to interpretation is one of the most difficult business or difficult enterprises there is. And I'm talking about your little short film with your three friends in somebody's house to, you know, the Titanic sinks. You know, it's as difficult, but I wouldn't change it. You know, I don't know how to do anything else. Well, actually I'm a better cook than cinematographer. So one day I'll open a (laughs) restaurant, but uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change much. If
3: you are a better cook than cinematographer, then I am going to be the first person to line up, to go to your restaurant.
2: Well, well when, when my wife always laughs and says, we, we should do this this little side business called Rent-A-Chef, you know? So I go to your house with all my things and I cook in your house and I tell you about how to not, make, not to make mistakes in movies. Oh, you're, you're hired. Making I'm- movies. <laughs> <laughs> making movies. Make, I compare these and there's a long answer. So Jeff, help me, you can edit it. <laughs> making movies being a cinematographer is like being a chef we all go to the same supermarket and we buy the same tomatoes and we buy the same meat and 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 the olive oil comes from more or less the same region and we have a stove that is gas and we have a frying pan that is copper or whatever it is you take these seven ingredients and you give it to seven different chefs and it will do seven different dishes because what they bring is what they have in their hearts in the story in their knowledge. VPs are the same. We always rent the same cameras. We rent the same lights and the trucks are the same. And, And, and you know, the film used to be the same. It was all Kodak or Fuji. Every movie is different because we bring our own history to it, our own background and our own understanding of the world. And that's what it makes us chefs
1: of our own images that's beautiful by the way and last question where should people go if they want to learn more about you where should they go if they want to watch daisy jones the six sell the wares you know tell us about your stuff
2: daisy jones the six is in amazon prime if you have amazon prime if not it's probably all over the place now hopefully not pirated yet but it will be And to learn more about me, I don't know if you wanna do that. <laughs> stay away from a stay away from a coffee drinking Peruvian Italian DP that runs around the world in a submarine. My next project is with my wife. I'm in Vancouver shooting a wonderful project called Under the Bridge. I don't know if I can tell you more about that. Nice. And my next project it's it's a movie with my wife in South Africa, which we literally wow. leave. Wow. I I arrive to LA Wednesday and I leave on Monday to South Africa. Wow. And it's a project for Patricia Patricia Regan. So that that's that's the love of my life. In 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 the project will be the second love of my life.
0: Alrick, what do you remember about your and Eric's talk with Checo?
1: I already talked about it a little bit, but I mean, just this man has like so much like filmmaking is just so much embedded into his life, you know, and the way that he talks about his craft was really Exciting, you know, and, and really fun to like hear the way that he approaches the cinematography for a show or a movie. The thing that really, I'm a nerd big time and I'm a, I'm a big Guillermo del Toro, del Toro fan. Like I'm, you know, I wouldn't say I'm a humongous Pacific Rim fan, but I really enjoyed Pacific Rim a lot. Like I thought it was a really fun movie. I've seen it a few times, but just to hear how he made that, how that movie was made mm-hmm. and his part in that movie where he was basically like one half of the cinematographer, you know, but like just because like there's no co-cinematographers, you can't really, there's no, there's no credit that way, you know, in the industry. Like, he had to be, like, you know, whatever it is, like, BCAM DP, I think is his title. But, like, just for you, Liz, the way that they did this was, like, you know, Guillermo del Toro didn't want a, a, a second unit because he wanted to direct every single frame of the movie himself because he's crazy. And so <laughs> they would have – they had two crews going on almost the whole time. So, like, they would start at 3 a.m., Checo's unit, and they would be working on all the stuff inside the heads. So, not just, like, you know, wide shots and action, but, like, all the actor stuff that happens in the heads. Mm-hmm. And so, <laughs> Caramel del Toro would start to like, Five or six a.m. shoot with them for five or six hours and then go to the other unit and then shoot like other scenes with other actors oh <laughs> for five or six hours and, and like just do that. So it was like basically like the, the, the team would be like running all day, you know, these two different teams, like basically working like. I don't know, twenty hours or something across both teams. But then he would actually get to shoot for like five to six hours with each team, with no waiting because his all the prep had already been done while he's shooting other scenes. Sounds madness, dude. Sounds like total madness.
0: Uh, well, I just remember that I was a film critic when Pacific Rim came out, and so was Sean, my husband and he hated it and the internet hated him for hating Pacific Rim. (laughs) So it's like one of those inside (laughs) jokes in our our, like relationship is like you don't bring up that and Cabin in the Woods. Sean hates Cabin. It's like.
1: Oh man, those are two movies that like the internet and critics like like surrounded and like pushed up as like these special amazing movies that like can do no wrong and they're yeah. so perfect and incredible and I, I I I don't hate those movies but like I definitely am sort of like hmm overhyped maybe a little
0: <laughs> fair know? I loved Cabin in the Woods so like I get in my little tiff with Sean but he's like Scream was <laughs> better now, you know like they street Scream Scream was smarter about like he just got, whatever this is not yeah. the Sean show but it's he's got he's a horror <laughs> purist and so we got angry at Yeah. the woods
1: well Scream's great how can you not love Scream? <laughs>
0: it's so good. But, Alrick, I have a question for the game. Can you do it? Do you want to try it? The
1: game. Okay. We are here to play the game.
0: The game. For those who are not initiated, or unless you want to do this intro, I'm just going to keep going, is a game that we play where our producer, Eric Toms, gives one of us an indie film quandary a challenge to, to behold in our hands and to pick apart and parse from our own perspective. So I have not read this question and Ulrich has not read this question or heard this question and he's going to answer it. So Eric Tom's question is, you've been grinding in the entertainment industry for over a decade. You've made multiple projects for free or at a deficit so as to create a body of work to exhibit. You've picked up jobs here and there, but they've all paled in comparison to the career you've yearned for. This just is like, state the truth, Eric. Okay, finally, after years of toil, you've hit upon something that has really struck a chord with your audience and the industry has sat up and take notice of you. You're finally starting to be offered the kinds of jobs you've Jobs you've always dreamed of, but there's just one problem. You're exhausted. After years of hard work, you've hit a wall creatively, emotionally, and physically. You're having a hard time focusing or even caring about the work you're doing. The big project is all set to start very shortly. And you're sure that if you take a break now, that there's a real chance that this opportunity will pass you by. Do you, A, push through this one job and hope that you can take a break after it's wrapped? B, let your agents, managers, and executives know that you need a mental break and deal with the possible fallout. C, that's it. You just get A and B to choose from. Or D, other. <laughs> and wait,
1: like, wait. So I've been working for how many years
0: without a break? Over a decade. I mean, Over he's basically a decade just, without a break. So oh, he's basically describing our situations and every indie filmmaker oh, out there. He's saying uh, okay. you've been working volunteer labor as a filmmaker for over 10 years, which I would say describes me. I don't know if it describes you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And And but you have finally hit a big break but you're exhausted
1: oh no what do you mean if you finally hit your big break of course you go for it there's no there's (laughs) no what what do you mean i mean i guess i think i wanted more details in what he means because like you know (laughs) if you're describing our lives as like people who are hustling and trying to make movies you know and like i don't know do you do you not take vacations ever you take vacations no i don't take vacations no you never take vacations no okay just just like going to see family on the holidays is like the vacation
0: that's yeah we don't really have a budget for vacations nor no we we've never taken a vacation
1: never taken a vacation no. oh my god my last vacation was probably in 2016 maybe or something like that. That's Maybe like almost effectively not taking
0: a vacation, you know? <laughs> but
1: it but but it was also it was a shoot. <laughs> so,
0: like, yeah, we got so to go to Italy
1: for a shoot, but then we like spent some time, you know, it was like we got we went to Italy for the shoot, but then I brought my wife and we got to like hang out in Italy like for like four or five days, you know. So it was a vacation. You know, but there was some work involved, too. So I don't know if that counts or not. I
0: mean, but. I think that the world of like a pure vacation, who does that? I guess people who have fancy jobs, they can like take a week off and turn off their email. That's very confusing to me. But I, let's, yeah, let's well, recognize you're, you're, we're not you're doing You're
1: probably going to do that when you, when your kids are older and like it's spring break. Like, you're, like every parent I know who has kids that are over four That's not takes vacation. spring break.
0: When you're Spring with your kids, you're working. You're oh. a, that's not a vacation. <laughs> what I'm talking about, like an actual <laughs> vacation. I've never had a vacation.
1: <laughs> I think your definition of vacation and my definition of vacation. The are very true different.
0: definition should be a you a point where you relax. When or, when have I, you ever uh, relaxed? Well,
1: if I can be relaxing with my family, like you know, no. that's no.
0: What? No. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? You're relaxing uh, with your family? That is something my that you do?
1: Yeah, me and her, we hang out and we just, you know, we'll like play around or like then she's like watching a movie and we're just like chilling together. But you're not
0: constantly worried about the like, the looming feeling and foreboding sense of death around them no. that every turd that no. worried about them no, falling no. or getting decapitated you're not worried about these no, things all the time not
1: anymore I was so worried nasty. about that when she was super young but like now like I just throw up in the air like she's like a bag of chips and <laughs> catcher and whatever and right. you know
0: so we have i mean i'm I'm I'm,
1: yeah. not, I'm I'm like you know i'm obviously concerned that i don't drop her but no, you can relax trying.
0: you're allowed to, you but are <laughs> able to figure out how to relax still <laughs> yes okay. that sounds nice all right <laughs> yeah.
1: but yeah i think I, I think for this question like you know yeah i think like of course you go for it like unless unless he's meaning like you've been working on another movie for like six months and then that movie finally finished and now you have your big break and then it's like you you don't get any break, you just go into another movie for six months. I think that would be kind of harder, you know? But if, mm. if that's not like as specific as he's getting, yeah, I don't, I, I guess I just... Go for it you know like of course If it's your big break that's like what you've been working so hard For for so long like you're not gonna not Go for it yeah right am I am I missing Something to this question I
0: think well I love that both of us Just spend 20 minutes Deconstructing the question sometimes And it's not really 20 (laughs) minutes It's like two seconds but like (laughs) uh, Sometimes we need Eric to be A part of the show to be like to answer Questions for us about the premise
1: Right right
0: no I'm with You and I think you and I have just proved that there are gradients of mental health that you can integrate into your life. <laughs> Clearly, I need to integrate more <laughs> into my life. I took a 10-minute nap today, and it like was very rare, and it is it's thrown me off. Like I'm more anxious having taken that 10-minute nap. <laughs> and I am gonna have to deal with it for the next six hours. So I agree. I think you push forward, but then you figure out like maybe you up your Therapy time, or you up your, you know, you pr- you take something off your plate. You do something to protect your week, or to to give yourself you, you give yourself you time, or you don't participate in one aspect that they want you to participate mm. in. I think mm. it's like because I think what Eric's implying is like you shouldn't ignore the words that he's saying. You're exhausted and you're near a breaking point. Right. So that means you have to do something. You have to do something for yourself at that mm. point. But I agree, mm. like there's opportunities are so rare in this industry. I would probably also, yes, push forward and just try to figure it out somehow.
1: Yeah. I feel like if you're near a breaking point. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like I feel like that's sometimes I see that where like people who have like worked really hard on on, on movies or, or building up a body of work or whatever. And like they're at the stage where they could push themselves to the next level and then they quit, you know? Yeah. And I feel like... That's kind of natural that, like, you know, I can't remember the reference, but they were talking about like, you know, usually when you feel like you're so far away and then you're like, you know, pushing, 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 and you've been pushing so far, you'll never get there. And then there's like, if you're, imagine you're in a tunnel.
0: That's Milan Chakraborty. It's his. Oh, that's what Milan shares. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, you don't
1: know where where the other end of the tunnel is, but like, maybe it's like one more hit away. Yeah. It's like, so. I think if that came to my lap, we'd be like, that's the hit. You got to go. (laughs) Got to go through it, you know? And then like maybe just try to like build in some some downtime, like, you know, two months or a month or something after where you don't have to do anything. You just like make that work with the finances that you have and like whatever the deal that you're getting. Just make sure you're getting enough money, you know, in this deal. That's the big break. That you can have some downtime, you know, with you and your family afterwards. but well, I think, but that I think would the assumption
0: be... that is that you would be treated like a workhorse for the rest of your life, right? Like you would have to, you would have <laughs> you would to become mandate. Chico
1: Varse, basically. Yes, is what you're yes. saying.
0: <laughs> good job, Eric. Thematically tying this game. No, to no, the interview. No, that
1: was that was good. That was very good. Yeah. No, I mean, but I see his point. But I think like as long as like it's if it is the big break. Yeah, like you can protect yourself, you know, and if and if it means missing out on the next big thing, well, just know that there's another big thing coming, right? So, like, I would Hopefully. just, yeah, I would take take the one that you that you you got the bird in the hand or whatever they say, take that, and then you know, then then take some time. That's what I would do,
0: and I would say like our conversation with Emily Apt, which won't be coming up for a few weeks, but you can have your big break. And then you could have another break 14 years later, right? Like it may feel like that it's, you may get impatient or you may get scared or whatever. But if, if you are talented and you persevere, and also I would say let's not be reliant on the system to provide the quote unquote break. For us, right? right? Like You can create exactly. your own content and you can create your own opportunity, even if you can't participate yeah. in the way the system makes content.
1: I like that. Everybody else, do you agree? Do you disagree? If you want to weigh in on this or send us another game suggestion, you can write us at podcast at hard.com Or if you really like the show, you can leave us a review on iTunes. We've gotten a couple of those lately, which is feels great. But the more, the merrier, of course. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at MMIH Podcast and YouTube at Making Movies is Hard Podcast. Make sure to check out the International Screenwriters Association, the ISA. They're an organization designed to connect writers with filmmakers through a number of programs they offer, including publishing your log line to a network of industry professionals, consultation courses, contests, and their Top 25 writers list featuring some of their best writers. So head over to www.networkisa.org to sign up for free today. Thanks to Chico Varsay for coming on the show. Um, Schellinger? Schellinger? Close enough. Thanks to Holden Schlanger from M- Emmanuel Bates Communications for setting this whole thing up and making this happen after like three weeks of like having to push it back. Finally got it in the can. Thanks to our editor, Jeff Reimut, for doing the editing. And thanks to our producer, Eric Toms, for just being awesome. Thank you all for listening. And we'll talk to you next week or on Thursday.
0: This week, we welcome cinematographer Checo Varsay to talk about his work on the new Amazon show. It's Apple. I think it's Amazon. Is it Amazon? Check. Oh my Let's God, you're check. probably right. This is what happens when I don't sleep, Jeff. <laughs> my brain <laughs> is very confused.